If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be unrecognizable, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to what framework makes disguise self interesting? And how can we build better scenarios where disguise self can shine? And what real tricks of the disguise trade can we pull into our fantasy worlds? Welcome to the Hook and Chance Podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Now, I'm no stranger to disguising myself. <laughs> the weirdest. <laughs> you, you must explain, please. Will do. When I was a younger man, I <laughs> had a weird... <laughs> had a strange game that I would play with my friends. So the rules were pretty simple. It was just cops and robbers, and the robbers would try and get from point A to point B in the city. And then the rest of the players would be in their cars looking for them. Yeah. Okay. Because it got real boring in small town America. <laughs> yeah. And so as the robbers, you would be very panicked and sweaty because every car that drives by, you're trying to jump in a bush or something. But eventually I found the best way to get past them. I turned my shorts inside out. I took off my shirt and wrapped it around my head and walked with a hell of a swagger. And all of a sudden, you were unrecognizable to your friends that were looking for your telltale bouncy walk yeah, and your particular clothing. I have follow-up questions, though. One would assume that you were swapping your clothes and turning your shorts inside out in a bush somewhere. <laughs> Probably. Let's skip past that detail. Let's really hope so. It was so effective. I was so surprised because all the cars were waiting for me at point B and I literally walked past them and touched the point B point and then walked back to the car and slammed my hands on the hood and they all still thought I was a stranger. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, disguising yourself, it really works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what if you had access to magic? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would be even more powerful. It should be all that much more powerful. Yeah. Well, I cannot profess to be the master of disguises that you are because whenever I was pinned down, uh, I would just try and gaslight my way out of it. Oh, good. Yeah. Are you sure you want to admit to that? Uh, not not particularly, but yeah. Where I saw you downtown. No, you didn't. No, I did. It was you. No, wasn't me. <laughs> well, I saw you out front the bank. Nope. Wasn't me. No, literally, I saw you. I was five feet from you. No, I wasn't there. Kind of a uh, post-disguised self. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) After the fact. (laughs) Changing the past. If you just hammer through, eventually, (laughs) maybe somebody will accept that as the truth. Wow, okay. Yeah. No, it's not a terribly effective way of going. So I'm shifty and you're a liar. (laughs) Welcome to the show. If you're new, you just learned everything you need to know. Well, let's get into some actual useful bits here. Uh, Yeah, today we're talking about Disguise Self. It's a really fun spell to use in D&D when it's understood by both parties using it. Yeah, see, right there, 
you know, it's it's one of those tip of the iceberg things. Disguise self is a really cool spell, and that's about the ten percent that's sitting above the water. <laughs> the other ninety percent is if both parties know how to use it. So let's uh, explore that a little bit. We're gonna start with the strategy stateroom. Talk about the spell. Talk about how you can use it really effectively, and then some other fun stuff. <laughs> well, let's get to it. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so we're going to start with talking about what the spell can actually do in the game. Then we'll talk about what purposes it can serve, and then how you can handle it as a DM, and how you can handle it as a player. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Well, well, let's hold on. Before we get too far in, let's do a little bit of a recap. If you're unfamiliar with this guy's self, or maybe you just need a little bit of a, a recap on all of the finer points of the spell before we dive in. So it's a first level illusion spell. It's casting time is just a single action. And your range is yourself. So you grope yourself for a little bit and rearrange some magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Verbal and somatic components. So interesting point there is that there's no material components. Right. You can do it even when you get all your stuff stolen. Yeah. So when the chips are really down and you've even had the clothes ripped off of your body, yeah. you can illusion yourself some clothes. Oh, no indecent exposure. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't pay the fine anyways. <laughs> uh, and then it's also... Available to bards, sorcerers, wizards, and it lasts for an hour. Okay, so the finer points. You make yourself, including your clothing, armor, weapons, and other belongings on your person, look different until the spell ends or until you use your action to dismiss it. You can seem one foot shorter or taller and can appear thin, fat, or in between. You can't change your body type, so you must adopt a form that has the same basic arrangement of limbs. <laughs> two and two. Otherwise, the extent of the illusion is up to you. The changes wrought by this spell failed to hold up to physical inspection. For example, if you use this spell to add a hat to your outfit, objects pass through the hat and anyone who touches it would feel nothing or would feel your head and hair. If you use this spell to appear thinner than you are, the hand of someone who reaches out to touch you would bump into you while it was seemingly still in midair. Here's one of the most important parts. To discern that you were disguised, a creature can use its action to inspect your appearance and must succeed on an intelligence check against your spell save DC. So here's the thing that immediately jumps out to me about that. A creature can use its action yes. to inspect. Like, an action is a couple of seconds. It's a, hmm, I'm going to look you over. Yeah, look for any inconsistencies. And that happens once someone is suspicious. Right. I don't do that to everyone I meet just to see if they're dis magically disguising themselves. That would get really fucking creepy pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's like <laughs> six inches from your body studying you up and down. It's like a full body scan. I just like a full palm face. <laughs> <laughs> the ocular pat down. Yeah. As uh, Mac would say. So we have an idea of what it can do in D&D &D terms, but the things that you would actually use this for are fairly limited when it comes to talking about its purpose. So you can use it to evade, meaning you're trying to look like not yourself. 
So it doesn't matter who you look like, just as long as it doesn't look like you. Yeah. Using that to get through security or trick a single person or things like that. And then you've got impersonation, which is to assume a specific identity. And that is a lot harder because you're not just trying to, you know, throw a big mustache on yourself so you look like a person with a mustache. You're trying to look specifically like someone. Well, the challenge that I have with kind of both scenarios is that players often have this interpretation that it is a pass-fail kind of thing. It is automatically accepted by everyone everywhere. Right. Or it's not. You know, and that's kind of the the DM side where they look at you and go, yeah, uh, that fails. So everyone sees through your... No, this is whoever knows that they're looking for you. And first, they have to be looking for you. You can't be necessarily wandering the streets with your disguised self active and some rando, uh, you know, fruit salesman is saying, I don't believe you. (laughs) They have no reason to be suspicious. (laughs) Yeah. So at the core of this very mechanics heavy spell is role play. There's so much role play here that could happen, but instead it's often encapsulated in just this pass fail. Oh, they see through it. The jig is up. Everyone run. Combat starts. Yeah. And I think that's what has been so challenging for me as a DM to run it because like you were talking about, I don't know when to trigger that suspicion Mm. of anybody that sees this person. Like even if it's a guard, it's like, okay, is the guard checking every person up and down? Depends on how good of a guard they are, (laughs) I guess. And again, going back to the ocular pat down, uh, you know, you're trying to get into the governor's ball and you're being checked by guards. That guard does not last very long in that position if they are, uh, you know, inspecting every little nook and cranny of every <laughs> party goer. Yeah. And then you have to like wonder, what's this guard's home life? Are they really bored with this job? Do they not really like their employer? How invested are they in seeing through all of the disguised self that's being cast tonight? And also, would, in a high magic world, would you not just cast disguised self to gussy yourself up a little bit? Oh, fair enough. One hour, dip in, dip out, nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wearing a $6,000 suit. Hell yeah. Or make it look like you did not skip leg day (laughs) when you did. That guy is so well-dressed. And also, have you seen his calves? He is jacked. Hell yeah. For one hour. (laughs) Just for the party, you know. All right. So how do we handle this as a DM better? Well, rather than make all of those personal decisions for every NPC that a disguised party member might run into... I think there's a mechanic that we can introduce that really simplifies this whole thing. Ooh, you know, I I love a good mechanic. (laughs) Good. Well, you basically just turn it into a skill challenge rather than that pass-fail like you're talking about. When they fail a certain number of skill checks to trick whoever needs tricking, that's when the NPC becomes suspicious and scrutinizes their illusion. Okay. So step one of this process is determining how suspicious or clever the individual or group that you're trying to trick is. So if we got that guard at the debutante's ball, are they into their job and they're doing a good job? That means you're only going to need one failure 
for them to scrutinize you. They're 100% Paul Blart and should probably be fired for their <laughs> level of dutiful diligence to inspecting uh, every single party goer. Then you might go all the way up to unsuspicious, which is five failures. Which is me in that role, basically. <laughs> you don't care? I'm leaning against the wall. What are you doing? Yeah, go on in. Yeah, yeah. Next. Okay, nobody hired Travis as a <laughs> security. <laughs> but I think to keep it simple, there'd be three levels. So you got suspicious, one failure. Medium suspicion, three failures. And really unsuspicious, five failures. Okay. And talking about that guard again, you make a good point. I mean, if I just had to run a guard real quick, I think they're going to be suspicious. A guard should pretty much always be suspicious if they're doing <laughs> any kind of a job. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. And if we're talking about a more highly secured place, like a higher level villain or something like that, then I think a part of their guard training 101 is going to be <laughs> disguised self-awareness training. Well, there's a big difference between going into, say, uh, a, a magic shop that deals in high-end magic items and happens to have a guard posted outside. Right. Think like a fantasy pawn shop. They're looking for violence. They're not necessarily looking for individuals that are trying to trick them with this guy's self. But the person that's, you know, sliding open that little metal slot. Yeah. And like looking people up and down and then they're closing it so that you can meet with the violent crime boss in some underground cocktail bar. They're going to be a little <laughs> bit more diligent. Exactly. So... Step two is whenever an interaction occurs between the disguised person and that NPC, have the disguised person roll a performance or deception check versus insight. That's when you're marking off those failures until they get so suspicious that they investigate you. See, that's really great because we've avoided the whole pass-fail thing as an automatic thing that happens if somebody rolls high and it feels so arbitrary. And as a DM... I don't even have to tell the players that I've, I'm using this system. I'm just questioning. On my fifth suspicion, you know, I'm, I'm very unsuspicious. And if that player can give me a good reason why they're there or start making things up on the spot, you know, uh, first suspicion, hey, what are you doing here? Well, here's, here's my very easy answer. Okay, uh, that seems a little bit suspicious. You didn't, you didn't quite pass that one. Okay, let me follow up question. And now all of a sudden, what could have been just a pass or fail becomes a role-playing opportunity where the players are being put on the spot and having to come up with answers and alibis and, and all kinds of different scenarios. You know, they're, the person, the guard is coming close to inspect and now all of a sudden they're coughing. <coughs> Oh, no, sorry, I'm I'm just, I'm really sick. I wouldn't get any closer. <laughs> okay, all right, okay, you passed that one. It was actually a performance check, and you know what? You, you made it through. You didn't hit five ticks. Yeah, I think I'll play a bit of a contrarian to you here, because I think there's a lot of power in showing how many ticks they have to fail, kind of like death saving throws, where the tension ramps up the closer they get to failing. Hmm. Okay. And if everyone's aware of that, then like everyone's hanging on the edge of their seats. All right. I'll give you that one. But regardless, we want to play with a little bit of dramatic tension. Yeah, for sure. We want that role play to happen. We want the players 
to come up with great and ridiculous answers to a questioning guard's questions. Yeah, this is where the gaming happens. (laughs) (laughs) This is where the fun is. Yeah. (laughs) And the third step, if you hadn't guessed, when all those ticks are up, the NPC investigates, tries to discern if they've got disguised self going, and if they fail that investigation, I think after that, they would probably investigate again on every failure after that. Because they're already like, they're super suspicious. This is high alert. They're trying to figure out what's going on because you just said that your Aunt Petunia was in charge of this place <laughs> when it's really the Night King of Galateron. <laughs> that, that was just a bad lie. <laughs> yeah. That one should have failed no matter what. All right. So let's get more into that role play part of it that is the juice and the meat and the succulent bits of this <laughs> so spell. How do we come up with better improvisational questions like what tips can we use from a dm or a player's perspective to just make this better make this juicier i'd say as the dm when you're throwing questions at the players that are disguised you want to try and keep them open-ended and allow for that wiggle room and allow for them to come up with creative answers so the uh online banking verification questions what was my first car probably is not a great option (laughs) yeah don't go for that but like the scenario questions of hey i thought you said you weren't coming to work today you know when you're trying to impersonate the guard stuff like that gives the players the opportunity to role play yeah and to be like oh yeah i was uh was feeling better about that thing after all (laughs) (laughs) that's very open-ended jord that's Wow. I'm pretty good, eh? (laughs) You're about as good as I am at lying. (laughs) And I think another tip is just when you're thinking of responses for those NPCs to try and complicate the situation rather than stopping the situation. How do you mean? Well, the situation stops as soon as the guard raises the alarm. Then it's a combat and it's not roleplay anymore. Yes. And sure, you can lead it to that. But the more you play in that dramatic tension space the more fun the combat can be so like as an example let's say you're trying to steal a crystal beanbag chair from the governor's office (laughs) okay can we spend a moment on a crystal beanbag chair (laughs) sure who doesn't want it okay beanbag chair big pretty cool crystal heavy pretty sharp yeah uh, like practicalities of side and comfort <laughs> levels of a crystal beanbag chair. I'm just curious how you're going to move the thing. Quite a heist. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one to plan out, is it not? But to your point, you know, when the guard encounters the party, you know, sees through a couple of their uniforms that they just have used disguise self to get in there, uh, do they pull out their sword? No. They say, huh, that's... uh." That's strange. Um, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead, go about your business. Where are you gonna go? I'm. I just have to. I have to go over here for a moment. Uh, I have something to do, and they're going to get more guards. But leading that that kind of combat on, and and not just jumping right in, swords out, is the best way to keep ramping up the tension. Now there's a guard that we know is suspicious that's somewhere in the castle. Like, we can keep this stuff lingering for way longer than just a a simple combat. 
Okay, so party's trying to get past the guards to steal the beanbag chair, and they disguise themselves as city guards. Pretty simple, but some situations and complications you could introduce without stopping things, but actually making things more interesting and introducing little tense moments that they have to get through. Yeah, that's what I want. There's so much potential there. So like one of the things that I recently saw, uh, shout out to Better Call Saul, I really like when one of the characters is trying to make his way through an area and they hand him a birthday card. The employees of this area say, hey, can you oh, yeah. sign this birthday card? And it's a very tense moment because he's not supposed to be there. But he goes ahead and signs the card and nobody suspects a thing because he plays it cool. And that that whole, I know the scene that you're talking about, and it's exactly what disguise self kind of feels like to me. It's just be humdrum and go along with a couple of really cool complications. And there was a few complications in that whole scene that, you know, how do you react? Oh, I don't, uh, Anna Fels, uh, okay, jigs up. No, no, double down. And every single time you double down with each one of those scenarios, it gets better and better because the tension's going to keep, okay, we signed Anna Fels birthday card. <laughs> now what? <laughs> You could do all kinds of stuff about major events. Like, where's that cake for NFL's birthday? You said you were going to pick it up. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, let me go grab it. It's in the other room. So now you got another clock that's counting down of people waiting for you to bring a cake back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep complicating that scenario. That's good. We're unloading this cart. Come help us out for a minute. We got to get these weapons to the armory. Now all of a sudden you're part of a group of guards that are performing a task. And I'm not advocating either, uh, you know, stealing the glory away from the players, but sometimes failing upwards is a thing. So when the players have passed all of their checks with flying colors and you you as a DM are kind of getting annoyed at how <laughs> easy this heist has been thus far, something that the players will continue to talk about is that time that the rest of the guards that were standing around protecting the crystal beanbag chair said, oh yeah, we have to actually move this crystal chair. Can you help us load it onto this cart? <laughs> like, let them fail upwards sometimes and be like, holy shit, that worked out. We thought we were in it over <laughs> our heads and everything just worked out in the end. Yeah, no, that's good. It'd be good too if like the guards were starting to become aware that somebody was inside. Then they recruited you guys to circle around the beanbag chair. Yeah, like, we got to right. get this out of here. We got to get this to a secure location. Yeah. Yeah. So much potential. What about if uh, there's like that confrontation? So I love the like the little kind of hints that maybe people are suspicious. But now all of a sudden when the rest of the guards or somebody within the area is actually suspicious, what happens then? Well, it could be interesting if a player is disguising themselves as a specific guard that they maybe saw go home or they knocked out. Then you've really got something to play with because another guard could come up and just like try to start a conversation about some personal details, but still keeping it vague. Like, hey, Jerry, it's high time you paid up. You owe me two gold. Interesting. See, I like that because will the players know that the guard's name was Jerry? <laughs> Maybe this new guard that's asking them to pay up knows that the person that they're disguising themselves as, 
because they're working from reference, is not Jerry. And that was a trick. And I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious if the players would end up paying the two gold just to keep things on an even keel. <laughs> Conversations like that are good for that final moment of like, I'm pretty sure you're not who I think you are. They've failed every one of those ticks. Yeah. And now it's time to reveal that maybe somebody was onto them. But again, I'm not sure I would open up combat after this. You know, the players say, oh, shit. Uh, and, you know, the one that is being confronted pays up two gold just to keep things moving along. Yeah. But if we can draw this out just a little bit longer, maybe the players realize that Jerry wasn't his name. Or, you know, it's one of those things that kind of builds. Is the jig up or is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Schrodinger's cat of a question All right, is the one that keeps the tension ramped because now the players are not aware of whether or not they've been caught. They have to soldier on and try to continue in this ridiculous operation, apparently, of trying to <laughs> grab a crystal beanbag chair. And they don't know if that guard has figured it out and is currently getting the backup contingent to surround you, but we just have to move through it. Fair enough. I guess I can see the pros of not telling them how many ticks they've got. Ha <laughs> Another fun thing to do with these situations is throwing in moral injustices or dilemmas for a specific character. Oh, I'm going to do this a million times with you guys. Yeah, during yeah, yeah. this campaign. Like I mean, they're, they're just trying to get through an area, but something's happening over there. It's hard to ignore. It's really hard to <laughs> ignore. You know, there's other prisoners over there. There's a big pile of gold. Well, we can only take one or the other. The pile of gold or the crystal beanbag chair. We can't get both. <laughs> crystal beanbag chair all the way. What else are you going to buy with that pile of gold? Nothing. Touche. <laughs> the crystal beanbag chair. All right, that's the DM side of it. But if we switch over to thinking about this as a player at the table, one of the first things that I tried to do with this guy's self is use it as kind of a bypass for gameplay. It's like, oh, this will work to get the beanbag chair in and out. We're done. Adventure's over. Yeah, and that can be really tempting as a player. Like when a DM sets you a goal... The quicker you can achieve that goal, it feels like the better that the game has taken place. Yeah. However, that's not necessarily true. The tension that the DM is trying to create for you, that's the fun. That's, that's where the meat is. Totally. That's the gameplay. So, I mean, you might win in 10 minutes, but then you're done the game for the night. I mean, if that's the goal... We might as well skip all of the first 19 levels and just get to the part where we're a tremendous hero in a castle and just say, yeah, I ride a fucking dragon. Did it. What do you got? <laughs> yeah. So it's all the fun stuff in the middle. And don't be necessarily disappointed by failures. That's where uh, the time for your role-playing acumen to shine. And that's so good. I think it's also important to understand how much disguised self would actually do for you yes i get that it's uh mighty fancy magics but looking like a person isn't the whole package i mean a person's gonna have knowledge that you don't have they're gonna have mannerisms that you might not be aware of they're gonna have relationships that you don't know 
And those are all very dead easy giveaways to the right person. So you can't just be like, I cast Disguise Self. Nobody will see through my amazing illusion. <laughs> well, yes, I completely agree. But also, when you're called out as a player, take a page <laughs> from my book. Just double down on the lie. Oh. Keep going. And keep finding your way through. Because the deeper and deeper you dig the more fun it's going to be in the end. I see. The more trouble your character is going to get into, the more ridiculous the scenario, the better. So just keep going. Right. Keep lying until your DM stops you. (laughs) (laughs) Which, no, I completely agree. Because, like, the kind of failure state of trying to sneak through with this guy's self is getting into the combat. And so if you just jump to combat on the first lie, then you just skipped a whole bunch of fun lies you could have made and you're in the middle of a battle at the front gates you have so much fighting to get to your objective not a good call keep lying (laughs) well i think we were a little bit light on the tips for the player so i think we can get into some real world tips and tricks for disguise in our next segment of grandma b's schoolhouse sounds good Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. It's so fun to add some real-world details into disguising because what people can actually do with it is pretty impressive. The real-world details and having a couple of these ideas in your back pocket from a player's perspective is a really, really good idea because... Myself, as a DM, when I ask you how you are using your performance skill check or how you are passing as this particular person that you're trying to impersonate, the more details that you can give me, the better things are going to go. Yeah, the more fun we can have with it. I mean, just as a DM, kind of being in that scenario, you say, hey, yeah, uh, how do you intimidate? I just... Look at him real mean. Okay. <laughs> sure. But when a player says, my eyes turn into a fiery red, and I say, listen, I know where you sleep, and that's why you're going to let me through, because you want this night to end well for you. I go, holy shit, that's so <laughs> good. Yes. Yes, of course that intimidates. You get advantage. So that's why you want more of these details. Versus my character's approach, which might be totally different intimidation. Like, his eyes bug out of his head and sag down a bit. No! (laughs) Oh, that is not intimidation. That's uh, something horrific. You'd be afraid, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose I would. (laughs) Jordan, you have a demented mind. The pupils come up and look at you. Ew! No! Oh! Yeah, I think mine worked too. Damn it. Okay. Yeah. Case in point. Just showing that there's different ways to describe things. That's all. (laughs) Okay. So get into the meat here. What are some details? All right. So real disguises, we kind of touched on it earlier, but there's two types of disguises that people try to use. It's impersonation versus evasion. Trying to look like someone in real life is so much harder. Mm, Fair enough. Yeah. But Jonah Mendez, who spent years as the CIA's chief of disguise, 
says these are some top tricks used by agents for evasion disguises. Ooh, so looking not like themselves. You want to basically hide your most distinguishing features. Like if someone was writing a list of descriptors about you, you would want every descriptor to be wrong. So we're not changing like where your cheekbones are or the size of your nose a little bit. It's the major features. And not just wrong, but almost the polar opposite of whatever it was. Yeah. Like So the two of us would have hair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Super easy to disguise yourself when you're bald. If I wanted to disguise myself, I'd go long curly hair and shave my beard. Oh, no one would recognize you. You'd throw some glasses on. Yeah. You'd be indistinguishable. Easy. Some of the other examples of that are change straight hair to curly, change dark hair to light hair, change a young person to look more aged. Pretty easy to do with some simple makeup. Some of the ones that I found more fun were to put a palette in your mouth to change your speech pattern. You know, if you give yourself a little bit of a slur or change the way you speak, that's huge when you're talking to somebody. Yeah. They can even put a dental facade in to change the shape of the face and the teeth. This wow. Even one called a plumper, which plumps up your gums and changes your entire facial profile. Yeah. There's a lot of space up in them cheeks. <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> Put a jam a bunch of cotton swabs up there. You'll end up looking like uh, Ron Perlman from Beauty and the Beast way back in the day. <laughs> Call back. Or just like sticks and stones. Just fill your cheeks. Well, mannerisms too. These, you know, your prior example of just your walk pattern can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I know this is getting pretty precise for D&D, &D, but... An interesting point that came up from this was people from Western cultures typically stand with their weight on one foot, stand whereas people from European cultures stand with their weight squared on both feet. Mm. Things that simple can throw people off. Everything from how people hold their cigarettes or drinks or things like that. Changing the way you walk. So sometimes these agents would put a brace on their legs to change their gait or when they didn't have anything else available, just throw a rock in their shoe to give themselves a limp. Even the role that you're taking on as a player. Are you trying to get close to the enemy? Well, being one of the invisible, either being a busker or being a, a person asking for change, any one of these scenarios, all of a sudden you blend into the crowd and you're hiding in plain sight, that kind of thing. So, so any one of those details can be really helpful in telling your DM this is how I am accomplishing this. Especially in one of those scenarios where like you did just get away and everybody knows what you look like. Mm -hmm. and you're trying to blend in with the crowd or make a clean getaway. Even conducting a heist as a tiefling with horns and making your getaway and then removing the horns because you were never a tiefling to begin with. Oh, shit. So the old reverse disguise. Put horns all over. <laughs> We're looking for a really horny man. Oh, no. And I got one more thing to tell you about because it's just a, a fun old bank robber that used disguised self in real life. Ooh. We got Willie Sutton, a.k.a. the actor or Slick Willie. Ooh, the original <laughs> Slick Willie. Uh, and according to How Stuff Works, he would frequently pose as a Western Union messenger and arrive at a Target bank or store 
real early in the morning, just as it was opening, which, you know, probably has the least staff and people around. Sure. Uh, his other favorite getups included a maintenance man, policeman, diplomat, window cleaner, you know, just those classic disguises. Wow. And one would assume that he was relatively successful? Well, yeah. Uh, definitely wouldn't be as interesting if he hadn't managed to rob up to 100 banks over a 40-year career. Holy shit. <laughs> Which, like, can you imagine somebody getting away with that now? So basically every five months, Slick Willie was just like, I need more <laughs> cash. I guess, eh? Jeez. Back in the days when people were far more trusting. This all <laughs> happened in like the first half of the 1900s. But I really like how he managed to dupe the guards once he was even in prison. So, you know, you probably should be pretty aware of your prisoners. But in 1947, he escaped the Philadelphia County Prison in the guise of a prison guard. <laughs> okay. But not only, he didn't just walk past him. When searchlights caught him trying to scale the prison wall... He apparently just looked back and yelled, it's okay, which fooled him. See, I told you, <laughs> just double down on the lie. Man, that's awesome. Just doing some uh, wall maintenance. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Running, what, a climb test? Like, what reason could a guard have to scale the fences at their own prison? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Wow. Suckers. We're so trusting as humans. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, the major way that our culture shifted from the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that does give me a lot of ideas for your game. Uh, you know, I want to get into some really fun scenarios where you are all having to fake your way through some very, very difficult checks and really ramping up the tension. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Always one of my favorite spells, honestly. Like, if I'm playing a character that can have Disguise Self, they do, and they use it a lot. Well, we've talked a lot about what Jordan and I's favorite uses of Disguise Self are. What are yours? Tell us your best tricks and tips. Or stories where Disguise Self has worked well. Or, even better, not worked to great effect. <laughs> I love those stories of failing upwards or some of the best stories, you know, going back to our previous episodes about, you know, mistakes that turn out great. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, getting caught in disguised self leads to some of the greatest adventures. Yeah. But I'm I'm particularly curious how you keep the tension up in those disguised self moments. So you can let us know on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit if you follow us at Hook and Chance. You can also tell us on Discord by joining an awesome community of players and DMs. Well, thanks a lot for listening to this episode. And as always, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you hear. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and indulge yourself game. with the crystal beans from beyond the north. This is the beanbag chair. You got it. 